0: Sharifa and Hope actually just sang the good part of my sermon, so I guess we'll just go to Sunday school. (laughs) No, I don't really want to get out of this because I've been so incredibly blessed by the last week of preparing for this. I I can't tell you, I mean seriously, if I can get 10% of what the Lord has shown me over the last week as I've dug into some of this stuff to try to say something coherent, it'll be great because <laughs> I mean it's just been a. I mean the week has been amazing the truth that he's been showing me so let me pray for us heavenly father I ask you to help me get across just a drop of the stuff that you've been pouring all over me in this last week uh, and bless my brothers and sisters and uh, bring them to life today and through this week and through their lives and in your name Amen. well The first part of it's kind of depressing. The title of it is depressing. You're probably not supposed to start with the title, but I'm going to. It's Dead Men Walking. So good morning, dead men and women. We are those people because of our sin. We are dead men. I thought I might start and tell some stories of some modern-day people that ran across my mind, but I don't have the time to talk about Jim Baker and how when I was little I used to watch the Jim and Tammy show and how his life turned into this gigantic train wreck, you know, Brennan Manning, I don't know if you've ever heard any of his sermons, but it's worth typing into YouTube if you need to hear something about grace. It'll just blow your head off. The guy is amazing. And he was a drunk, and he lived on the street. But he came back, but then he went back again to the street. I mean, it was just a train wreck. And none of us really live a perfect life, do we? We might want to pretend that we do at times or take some responsibility for our own salvation, but that's really not our... Heart, and all we have is dead, stinking death, the result of sin. That's all we've got, really. I, you know, we could go back and talk about the people from the Old Testament. I, you know, I was looking at how do you do a sermon, and you're supposed to get right to your point and stay there and be coherent. And I've decided to give a synopsis of the entire Bible um, before we get to the sermon text, which is John 11, where Jesus raises Lazarus. And it's pretty exciting. I love this this text, because it is really, it is the, one of the clearest places that God, that, that Jesus really kind of proclaims his divinity in a way that probably kind of angers the, the people of the day, and it's also a place where he pretty much lays out what salvation is and what your future is as his creature, but back to the, some of the early men and women and the people that sort of started us out, I started going through the list in Hebrews and Took some other people. Adam, I'll just briefly mention a few. Adam and Eve. You know, here's the thing. God wants you individually. I just, I'm very tangential. I'm sorry. Get used to it. God wants you guys to do amazing stuff in your lives. He has stuff for you that is way harder than you're able to do. Because you're dead. You can't do it. Right? I mean, he wants Skillman Bible Church as a body to do amazing things. And surprise, he will pull it off in spite of the fact that we are weak and a mess. And he did it with these people, Adam and Eve. What was the big job he gave them? Fill the earth full of people, subdue it. That's kind of a little much, isn't it? I mean, they'd only been awake for how many days? I mean, <laughs> people say, I wasn't just born yesterday. I mean, they could say they were. <laughs> and, and God's saying, subdue the earth. And by the way, a little, a little easy thing on the side, don't need any of that stuff over there, but. And, of course, they mess up the easy thing right away. But God's still faithful to actually do what He through them, what He wanted them to do in spite of the fact that they blew it up. But sin crept through that, those generations and those children, and it got so bad by the time of Noah that God had had enough. The smell of the, of the wages of death, of sin, death rising up into the nostrils of God was just enough. And he said, I'm done with this. I'm going to wipe all these people out, and let's find somebody that's doing pretty good. So he finds Noah, and basically does the same thing. He starts all over again, brings them, says, you're going to build this gigantic boat. Another thing, it's like just too much. And then I'm going to bring you all these animals, and you're going to float around for a long time, and then you're going to start over, basically like a new Adam. And I don't know how Noah just doesn't go, no, I, I can't do this. It's too much. His neighbors make fun of him, but he actually does kind of pull it off, and actually lives a pretty good life. I think he's up to that point, and gets to the part where he's in the water and sees land, and dove comes back with the olive branch, and they finally get to the land and set up camp. Noah decides he's going to build a vineyard. I don't blame him. I think after this, I might want to drink too. And he makes himself some wine, and he does. He gets drunk, and to the point of being naked in his tent. And one of his sons, Ham, comes in, and I guess Ham makes fun of him. It's not real clear, but Noah ends up cursing his son and his son's son, and it's awful if you go back and read this. And it just starts over again. You know, the world gets filled back up with imperfect, dying people. Abram, oh man, he did some crazy bad stuff. And he's the father of of nations. That was his big job and Sarai's. to to father nations, and they were old, and she hadn't had any children. She had a great idea, it's like, well, you know, I can't really, this isn't working for me, so maybe the maid? Not a, no, no, but they do this, and they do conceive, and Ishmael, and God blesses Ishmael and creates a nation out of him. Wow. (laughs) I mean, some people would argue that you could open up the paper today and see some of the results of that situation. Big mistake. And yet God still fulfills his plan. Isaac shows up. My namesake, Jacob, isn't a really good guy. You know, all you guys' names mean something nice. Hope. (laughs) My wife's name means praise, I think. Doesn't it? Something like that. Mine means deceiver. Sorry, Jamie. (laughs) Or supplanter is the nicer, you know, $5 version of it because he stole a birthright. It just goes on and on. I don't want to leave out the women. Rahab, she's a little different. I feel like she has an interesting story to tell us. We studied her in Sunday school a while back. She's sort of a proto uh, Gentile believer. God reveals himself to her and basically uses her to infiltrate or to allow the Israelites to take over a city. So she has to do that. She's a prostitute. That's who God chose. I mean, she starts out kind of from a bad spot. And God does amazing things from her in spite of that fact. I could go on and on. There's some big ones. David, oh man, David messed up. (laughs) Killed Uriah so that he could have his wife because he'd already gotten his wife pregnant. And he didn't just kill Uriah. He used his power as the king to send Uriah to the front lines of battle and told everybody else, when you get up there, leave him and come back. It was pretty clear what David wanted. It was, he didn't want Uriah to live through this. He was a murderer, an adulterer, and a man after God's own heart. It just, all of the Old Testament is filled with these stories, and I don't mean to be picking on them because there's great stories. I know today I've been spending a minute on how bad it is, but I like to look at the Old Testament as sort of this sweeping, dramatic play. You know, out on the it's it's being shown on the, the screen of the past for us with these epic stories of, you know, fights and wars and conquering and kings and you know men and women and children and it's all out there in the world, in the open, in the physical. I saved Moses for last, because he kind of ties in with the story, and I swear we're gonna get to the sermon. <laughs> For me, he ties in. The Lord showed me a way that he tied in when I was studying this. He, did, he lived a pretty good life. He was a pretty faithful guy. But one thing he did that was kind of weird is God told him at a time to go up to a rock and speak to it, and water would come out. And the way that he wanted him to speak to it kind of gave glory to God. It sort of pointed to God and, and allowed God to provide for the Israelites But Moses was mad because the Israelites had been a pain in the butt for a long time. And he was like, you know, I've had it. He hit the rock with his stick a couple times, his staff. And he said, i got to do this for you guys because you're so faithless. And water came out. And God did not like that. God, in fact, he said, I have it here somewhere. Because you believe me not to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, which was the purpose for the way that God had said to do this, was to show that it was the sanctity of the Lord working, not the man. You will not bring this congregation into this land which I have given them. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, when you look at it as what it really kind of means in our context, in a New Testament context, it's like not good enough to go to heaven. You don't get to set foot in the promised land. Excuse me. Because you had a little weak moment. I mean, I would kind of want to defend myself. But God, they're crazy. I was mad. I'm sorry. I was wrong. No promised land. Well, all these big sweeping dramas, Jesus shows up, new covenant, new thing, different. He kind of turns our vision from this physical realm into the more mystical spiritual realm. It's at least a way I like to sort of look at part of the delineation between the old and the new um, and, and there's all kinds of examples of this You know, he says the kingdom of heaven is within you and, and I think what he's saying is it's within you as a people It's within you as a person I should know better, shouldn't I? Um, and, and in the Sermon on the Mount He sort of makes this very clear As he preaches through He starts out talking about blessed are the meek and the poor And I imagine everybody's heart is getting very warm Because there's a lot of meek, poor people out there listening to this And they're going to inherit the earth. And he talks about uh, the salt and the light and how he's there to fulfill the law and not to destroy it. Now it's getting a little different. You know, what is Jesus saying right there? In fact, there might have been some people in the audience that perked up and went, whoa, (laughs) what did you just say? And then Jesus just straight out does a right hook. And he says, you've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Old Testament. Out in the open. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or his sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus just raised the bar so high that there is no man living that can do this. I mean, if, you, if you're in here and you don't think you've been that mad at somebody before, then you're fooling yourself. We're murderers. That's why we're dead men. It's the, it's the sin. And then he goes on. You know, he does the right hook and now he does the left uppercut. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. They'd heard that, also a commandment, pretty clear, everybody had gotten that one. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Whoa, that's that's just changed everything, didn't it? I mean, if I said every woman's head bowed and everyone's eye closed, men, raise your hand, there'd be two groups of us those who are telling the truth and those who are lying. And women, you you know you'd do this too. (laughs) It's not any different. It's the same thing, and it's God putting this, Jesus putting this on the level that there's no way we can ever fulfill this. And just in case you think, well, maybe I can pull this off, by the end of the sermon, and I learned when I was looking about how to do this, that you're supposed to give an application. Well, Jesus' application goes like this. Therefore, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Bam. And he strikes you dead. He just took away all chance. So, in light of all the things I've said to you in this sermon, be exactly like God. Perfect. How are we going to do this, dead men? How are we going to do this, dead women? <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, really, this is exciting to me. So, let's see. Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus is sick, right? Most of us know this story. I think even the younger people have heard the story of Lazarus. I know I'm not giving away the punchline here. And they send word to Jesus. Now, this wasn't a text message. This was in the uh, uh, times where there weren't cell phones that I know of, or at least they didn't have them there. And so this sending word to Jesus took a minute, and it was desperate. Mary and Martha are not going to send somebody because Lazarus has a cold and they want Jesus to say a prayer and send a card they need Jesus' help, right? And Jesus hears this, and Jesus says to the people that he's with at the time, he says, well, you know, this is a sickness that, it's not going to be death in the end, just so you know. And in the, in to the, the way he responds to this hurry-up message is he decides, you know what, we're going to hang out here for another couple days first. What? It's urgent. This man is dying, right? We're going to Wait? I don't know if the disciples said that to him. They were worried about something else, actually, because <laughs> Jesus had gotten to this point in his ministry. He'd gotten in enough trouble where they were starting to worry for their lives. You know, people were starting to kind of want to chase them around. And he's about to do the miracle that really does kind of seal the deal and start the Sanhedrin up and running. And it's, you know, but they're worried about that. But Jesus is going to wait a couple days. And I believe that Jesus, and I'm sure that you do too, doesn't ever do anything by accident or just by the seat of his pants. I'm an improviser, and I'd like to think that some of that comes from God, but Jesus just wasn't an improviser much. Jesus basically knew what was going to happen. When he made water into wine, it wasn't like, I have got an idea. I mean, there was a reason for that, and there was a reason he waits, and he explains it here. Right as they're about to leave, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. I mean, they're just really nervous. They're like, we don't really need to go if he's just sleeping. He's going to wake up, he'll be fine. It's just a cold. But Jesus said, no, 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 you, you don't get it. I, when I say sleep, what I mean is that he's dead. Wow. And we're going to go and raise him from this natural thing that happens at the end of a sinful life from the dead. And I'm, I'm glad he's dead, he says. Another kind of, What? Really, I mean, we know the story, so we know why. But let yourself be the disciples for a minute. You're glad he's dead, Jesus. What? So that you can see, so that I can show you what God's plan is. This is the, this is one of the big ones. This is going to be a miracle that really sort of unravels for you God's plan more than most have so far. So they leave, and they're going to go to him. It's funny what Thomas says. I want to just. I hope I'm not going to take too much time tangenting. Thomas, you know, Thomas is like, I hey, go. Well, like kind of overlooks this whole resurrection thing and just is like, well, I guess we should go with Jesus and die with him. <laughs> so they decide to go, and they go, and when they arrive, I imagine the trip takes a little bit of time. When they arrive, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Now, at the time I did a little research, it seems that it may have been a rabbinic tradition that mourners would hang around a, a grave site for like three days or so for many reasons, to mourn, but in part to make sure you know, that some doctor had not made a mistake, <laughs> that they had rolled the stone onto somebody who was almost dead, you know, and that they'd hear them get up and roll it back. No, 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 Lazarus was not dead, and no trick was being played either. Jesus had waited long enough to where, as we read later, there will have been a smell. The stink of the wages of sin was rising up. Lazarus was dead. The flies were coming. It was a serious thing. The guy is dead. And so when he shows up, one of the sisters, Martha, says to Jesus, and I guess when you read it, you hear Martha's voice, if you had been here, I think if it was me, my voice would have been more like, Jesus, what took so long? Where have you been? We called you. We needed you. We needed help. Where did you? What took so long? He's dead. If you had been here, he would be alive. And Jesus uh, says, "Martha, your brother will rise again." Martha's a good Jewish woman who knows some stuff. She's been to Sunday school. She's heard about the doctrine of the resurrection. So she says, "I know he will rise again at the last day. I know he'll get his life back at the end, at the resurrection. I know that, Jesus, I know. Thanks for the cold comfort. Jesus says to her, and this this is such a powerful, powerful thing that he says. He goes, the last day is standing right in front of you, Martha. He doesn't really say that. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. The only thing Jesus can mean when he's saying this is that if you believe in him, Your physical death is not the end. Your life continues. So if if you ever wonder, is there really a heaven? Is there really an afterlife? Is there really a, you know, what happens to me for sure? Well, if you believe in Jesus, you keep going. And Jesus says this to Martha. And Martha, like Peter, a while back in Jesus' story, who had a similar revelation is struck by the Holy Spirit in this moment, I believe. Because Jesus says to her in this next moment, do you believe this? He tells her he's the resurrection and the life, and that if you believe in him, you'll not die. Or when you die, you will go on living. And then he asks her, do you believe this? And Martha says, sort of like Peter did a while back, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Bang! What Peter heard after that was, man didn't show you this. And I don't think man showed Martha either. I think in that moment she had faith. And if you are here and you've never actually experienced faith, I mean, I'm looking around and I believe most of you are probably saved. I don't know every single one of you, though. If you need to know how to be saved, that's how you are saved. You might say, well, yeah, but the the crucifixion hadn't happened yet. What Martha says here is the way to salvation Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God, and he has come to save us. You confess that with your mouth, and that knowledge is burning in your heart. That's what happens to Martha in that moment, and she is able to see it. That is a significant moment. So the story goes on. I'll, I'll skip up a little bit for the sake of time. Um, Jesus saw the people weeping and he saw the Jews had come along beside her and they were also weeping and he was deeply moved and spirit and troubled and asked, where have you laid him? He said, over here at this tomb, come and see. And then the world famous, shortest scripture in the the Bible, Jesus wept. That one got me too. I want to stick a minute here because not only is this I think proof of the fully manness of the fully man, fully God Jesus. Because God, Jesus, knows already. He said it back four days earlier. He already knows that he's going to die. Why is he crying? Why do you need to cry? He doesn't need to cry. He knows. He knows. He's, he knows. Well, he's crying, I think, because he feels this pain in that moment. He sees these other people crying. And in that moment, he really feels it. His friend is dead. And I also think, how many times after the, Adam and Eve made that first mistake, after Abel's blood soaked into the ground, do you believe that Jesus, the Word of God, who was there to watch this, didn't weep? This is not what I wanted. Do you not believe that when Jesus watched Uriah, who was always faithful to try to fight for David, probably do his very best, in war, as he was cut down, that, that Jesus didn't weep. Over and over again, Jesus had witnessed throughout history, before his incarnation, God, the Trinity, had witnessed the wages of sin. They had witnessed the death of man, and there had been sadness all that time, I'm sure, and this was just a continuation of that, I think. And some of the people were saying, man, this guy, you know, he healed the, the blind. Couldn't he have helped if he had come on time? And Jesus, still deeply moved, goes to the tomb, and he says to the people, take away the stone. And Martha, a woman like us, a sinner, has already <laughs> forgotten. Doesn't that happen to you? You're, you leave church, you're charged up, you drive over the curb a funny way, it messes up your wheel on the way home, you notice your car's pulling to the left, you, you know, the next morning to work, you're going, your car's still pulling to the left, you're going to have to get that fixed. You just realize you just forgot a pro- Everything is wrong, and you forget. It did only take her 45 seconds. She says, but Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. And then Jesus said, basically, Martha, <laughs> didn't I just tell you? Didn't we just go over this, resurrection, life? He says, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you. And I reminded of Moses in this moment, because Jesus is actually praying this prayer, and he's giving credit to who is leading him every single minute, to who he has submitted to that mystery every single minute. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me but I said this for the benefit of the people standing in here. In other words, what Moses was supposed to do, what was that scripture? To sanctify the Father in the eyes of the children of Israel. Jesus, God really, is doing that right here. And he's kind of saying it. He's like, I'm doing this. So they see and they know that this is about you. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. And then... The last uh, verse of this this passage is one of the most beautiful moments in the Bible, and I believe I may cry every time I read this because of what God showed me this week. The dead man came out, and his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The resurrection and the life is going to take off this dead, stinking, sinful flesh. We are in the process of sanctification, my beloved friends, but there's coming a day where all of this falls away and we are let go. These grave clothes come off and we come forth. How in the world are Adam and Eve supposed to subdue the earth? How in the world was Moses supposed to lead the Israelites out of captivity? Another thing the Lord showed me when I was preparing for this was that heroes, uh, I think it's Hebrews 11 um, list, lists all these, these, these heroes of the faith, and every single one of them it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. By faith, Sharifa raises two little boys into two strong faces. By faith, Lyles West, gets songs out of the river. By faith, Abby. By faith, Woody. By faith. I wouldn't try to name all of you, but I would make a mistake and then it would be embarrassing. By faith. Lazarus, come forth. Faith is a gift given to us by God in spite of our sin, in spite of our death. Faith is a gift through grace given to us by faith, is how all of the Old Testament heroes were able to still do what God wanted them to do. In fact, no matter how hard they tried to blow it up, or no matter how close. Their best efforts were, but fell short still. God was faithful. Lazarus didn't have a choice, beloved friends, and neither do we. When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus didn't go, Jesus, I'm dead. (laughs) Right? Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus had to do what Jesus said. And we, as dead men and women, are exactly the same. And when he gives us the thing that we're supposed to do in our lives, when he makes us be who we're supposed to be, it is as if we are dead men rising up. In spite of all of our sin, in spite of our grave clothes, there might even still be a little stink left. But the power of God is great enough. If he can raise Lazarus, he can certainly get us to do something good now and then. So, Jesus gave that application in the Sermon on the Mount. I I decided to go the other direction and make it really easy. (laughs) I've got two things that I think um, we may be able to do. And one thing that I started doing this week, because to be honest with you, there's times I question all of this stuff. You know, when it gets really bad and loud and stuff is happening and I'm acting like a jerk, I'm like, Lord, are you, are you even here? How long am I going to be like this? If you're supposed to fix me. <laughs> I can't do it. The first application that I would like us to do is when you have that thing where you drive over the curb and mess up your tire and life goes wrong, or maybe it goes off the rails in a much worse way, and you continue to live under the repercussions of that, I mean, we are all facing that. Remember in the moment what Jesus said when he said I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me though he die yet shall he live. Just let yourself say that. You can learn the verse if you want from your favorite translation or just, you know, paraphrase that to yourself. And then ask yourself the question that he asked Martha. Do I believe that? You know, Martha, when she said yes, I don't know that she really knew what the Messiah was. It's possible that she thought, like many of the people of her day, that the Messiah was coming as a king to lead this sort of a new Israel right then and there. She could have had a little misconception when she confessed her faith in that moment. But still, God's faithfulness was enough. It didn't need to be perfect. It didn't need to be... She didn't have to have all her ducks in a row. We can't. That's the point. And I'll tell you a secret, we may also be mistaken a little bit about exactly who Jesus is, but it doesn't matter. And even if when you answer that question and you say, do I believe? And the answer is, I don't know, or even not right this minute, then just ask God to help you believe, because he will. He has me every time. He has all the people I know that have asked every time. He will. And if you do have the grace in that moment, in spite of your circumstances, to believe that he is the resurrection and the life and that he's got you and praise God for it. Yes, thank you. Let me go on with my crazy day. So that's one. The other one, if I may be so bold, and this is even easier, it's more complicated, but easier. I feel like it may even be a little prophetic, and you may have heard me say some of this before. Um, I think over the last five years, six years of Skillman's history, we have done an amazing job sort of looking into ourselves and coming to terms with the fact that we are broken. I think John Kiever's ministry, oh, I miss him. What a guy. It was one of the big things he did while he was here is to show us we're filthy, we're broken. We don't have it all together. And many of you that have taught Sunday school classes and stood along inside him in ministry and have continued that message have done that. I think of Kevin McGill, too, who taught about brokenness. I think we've done really good at that. And since Jeremiah's not here, I can talk about him a little bit, I think. Okay, turn it off. No, I, you don't have to, I guess. Um, I've gotten to know this guy, and he's been very concerned over the first year of his ministry here that he not introduce too much change because he knows he's the change, and he wants to make sure that you guys get to know him and that we get to know him and that we're comfortable there before he starts some great march off into Skillman or something. And... Um, but I also know, and if you may know if you've gotten to know him at all, he's kind of a man of action. This guy wants to get out there. So my other application is simply, and I put two make it easier on here, to be willing to get ready for action. <laughs> Don't even have to start getting ready, but be willing. Think about it. <laughs> Consider that God might want to use dead people in spite of the fact of their brokenness. And maybe get a little happy about that. That sounds kind of good, doesn't it? I know that Jeremiah's next sermon series is on, I, don't, I hope I say this right, Missio Dei. I don't know if that's Latin or Greek. Doctor, do you know? I should. Well, it, it, makes, it makes me feel a lot better. It's one of those seminary languages. But it's about the mission of God in our lives. It's about the overarching mission of God throughout the narrative of Scripture. And I believe, I can't put, he'll, he'll do this. You know, he's going to talk about, what do we do? So that's, that's what I believe we can move into a new time in Skillman soon. I believe the threshold that we've been standing on for the last year and that we're starting to inch out over, and there's no hurry, God's got us, is going from sort of the navel to the neighborhood, going from, you know, looking inward to looking outward. So those are the, the two things. So I just, I want to say, I didn't want to be too depressing. I thought the music was so beautiful. If you've got trouble going on, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If you believe in Him, even when you die, you go on living. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are deep.